My message this morning is hold fast, dividing the word of truth. Dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy chapter 2 is our text, verses 14 to 19. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and the overthrow of the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Amen. Last few weeks we've been in Second Timothy, and um, a while back when I, when I was thinking about it, I sort of felt, and I'm not into preaching sermon, a series, sermon series, but I sort of felt to hang on to Second Timothy for the last little while. And as we know, the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this to his assistant pastor, Timothy. And, uh, and the Bible says that when Paul wrote it, he was, it was sort of his last letter in his mind. He figured that this was going to be it. Um, he'd served as well done. He was looking for the well done, good and faithful servant because he knew that he'd spend his time. And he was writing this letter, and you can almost see the urgency when he's writing Timothy as he's going through, wanting to get out everything that he's had all of his life and trying to get it into Timothy and say, you know, I need you to pay attention to what's going on. The very first, in chapter 1, we talked about how he told Timothy, he said, stir up your spiritual gift that's within you, a gift that came from the legacy of your parents, that came from your grandmother and your mother, you remember it a few weeks back, and he said, encourage us to stir up our spiritual gifts. And he talked about, the Bible talks about the different gifts, and there's the establishing gifts, you know, when you got pastors and preachers that are used to establish a church. And then you got supporting gifts, like prophecy and teaching and encouragement, and the gift of giving and, and, and mercy. All gifts are used in the administration of the church body. And then, of course, you got, you got our, our ministry gifts. We talk about wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and, and all those different gifts, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, distinguishing between spirits. These are all gifts that God uses for the church. God uses to impact the church. So he encouraged Timothy, just like we, I encouraged you a few weeks back, to stir up your spiritual gift. We're all given that opportunity, and he wants us to use it for the extension of his kingdom and to make your life stronger. Amen? Then he said in chapter 2, he said, Timothy said, the days are getting short, so I want you to endure till the end. I want you to endure till the end. He said, I want you to stand for truth. And he said, before I, when you stand for truth, you have to adopt three attitudes. Three attitudes we have to adopt to adopt if we're going to win this race that we're in. He says, number one, be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. We are reminded that a soldier who stops fighting before the battle is finished will never see the victory. Is that not true? He said, run the race well. We have to compete in a race. I said, if we're in a marathon and we decide to cut corners, unfortunately, we're going to be disqualified. That's what's going to happen. 
Okay, so run the race well. When we run the race, we'll finish well. And then he said, I want you to have an attitude of a farmer. I want you to work hard. Be about my father's business. I read something from a friends of ours that are over pastoring in a foreign country, and they've been there 12 years now. And what struck them was the fact of, you know, over that 12-year period, so many times, so many times, they just wanted to throw up their hands and give up. Because it's not easy. This race that we run is not an easy race. But God says, you be a good soldier, you keep moving forward. You work hard like a farmer. You keep digging the ground, planting seeds, tilling the soil. And eventually, eventually, you will reap a harvest. Amen? We will reap a harvest. And now in this passage of 2 Timothy 2, 14 19, Paul is encouraging Timothy once more. He said to keep his attention on the most important thing. Keep his attention on the most important thing. And he said, he reminds them, he said, he said Timothy, he said, remind the people. Remember now, Timothy's a pastor. And he said, Paul, Paul told him, he said, remind them of these things. Remind the people. He said, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Remind them not to strive about words of no profit for the ruin of the hearers. Paul said, Timothy, remind the people, charge them before the Lord not to get caught up in the quarrels that don't profit the church. Because all it does is bring about ruin to those who are listening. He said, Timothy, remind the people to stay focused on the gospel, to stay focused on God's word. You know, we as a church are always tempted on losing focus. We as a church, we, you know, as a church, so much times we can fill our church with everything in the world. You can have all the entertainment. You can have all the programs. You can have all the social events. But at the end of the day, the church was planted to share the gospel. That's why the church was planted. Share the good news. Paul was telling Timothy, he said, tell the churches, don't strive for words of no profit. Don't let the church become a place where we get distracted over things that can pull us away from the main thing. When we allow ourselves to fall into a trap of distraction, when we allow ourselves to get caught up in the things that are not God-focused, we go down a rabbit trail. You know, we get sidetracked. We're going along and whoosh, you know, we're on a goal to, we're on a goal to win the loss. We're on a goal to grow something that God has birthed in our heart. And when we get distracted, we lose the ground that God is trying to give us. Church, if we take our focus off the message of the gospel, if we allow our focus to be directed towards stuff, how many times have churches got distracted over stuff? Well, I don't like that paint. Or that was my grand, great-grandfather's pew. Seriously. Right? How much foolish stuff have the church got tied up in over the years? I'm being honest. I see it, from, you know, right? How much stuff have we got tied up in over the years that hasn't got nothing to do with God's Word or God's plan? Then we allow, we get offended then. Right? Jesus said it's impossible that an offense is not going to come, so but then we get offended because Somebody took my seat. I'm being honest, right? You know what it does? It brings ruin to the hearer. It brings ruin to the listener. How many churches have fell into the trap? How many churches have fell into the trap? I've getting tied up over stuff that had nothing to do with furthering the kingdom. Absolutely nothing. 
and they get tied up in the stuff. And what happens? You got these new believers and people around us and around there looking at this and saying, I don't understand this. I thought these were church people. I thought we had a bigger goal. Right? To the ruin of those who are watching and listening. Churches end up splitting, making a spectacle of themselves in the town they're in, losing their testimony, losing all the ground they gained because they allowed their agenda to take over God's agenda. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest. We get the best church in the world, so I'm not talking about this one. <laughs> but it's true, right? Church, if we don't stay focused on the Word of God, if we don't abide by what's in the book, if we don't abide what's in this book, we allow ourselves to be swayed by men's opinions, and the ruin will come. And maybe this, maybe why I was impressed upon this was maybe God knows what's coming. He, he does know what's coming. Maybe God knows what's coming for this church. This church has been growing. This church has been doing well. But you can't have, Beverly always says, no battle, no victory. You can't have a church that's on the move where the devil's going to try to slow it down. Because the last thing the enemy wants is for souls to start getting saved in this church. The last thing the enemy wants is for us to start making a difference and to be a lighthouse in this town. That's the last thing he wants. So he's going to try to slow us down. And maybe that's why I'm preaching on this today. We've got to stay focused, church. We have to be careful that we don't have division in the church. You can't have division in your church and expect God to honor the house. It doesn't work. The two doesn't fit. It brings ruin to those who are listening, and it brings a smear on the church what God wants to do. And Paul goes on to say to Timothy, he said, Timothy, he said, I want you to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Just like in the first part of Timothy, Paul encouraged just like in the first part of Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy, he said, to endure, to stay strong, to keep moving forward. So now he tells us to be diligent, to find yourself approved of God. You see, we're all called to present ourselves approved of God. And you notice he didn't say, he didn't tell Timothy, he said, he didn't tell him, he said, no, Timothy, he said, I want you to find yourself approved of people. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to find yourself approved of God. You know how many churches are out there today that the past poor pastor is shaking every time he comes to the platform because of what he's going to preach or what he's going to say? Because he's afraid of some of the people in the congregation, not this church. I'm not talking about this church. But seriously, you know how many people, how many pastors are afraid to come to the platform because as soon as they, they, they preach to please people and not to please God. Timothy's goal was to present himself approved to God, not to people. Timothy didn't regard the job of being a pastor as a popularity contest. But instead he called it, he was called to be a faithful servant, faithful pastor to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That was his calling. He said, Timothy, be a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing God's word, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know how embarrassing it is when you do a job? And you get tired at the end of the day, and you sort of, ah, that's enough. <laughs> you throw it together, maybe pick up the carpet and sweep the last bit of dirt under the carpet. All right? And you know how embarrassing it is when your foreman shows up and he goes around and starts inspecting your work? And he picks up the corner of the carpet and sees a little dust pile? Church, the work we've been given is eternal work. 
Their souls weighed in the balance of what we do. Last night, and just so you know, Ayel and Roy, we've been coming out here Saturday nights between 7 and 8. A very informal time, but we just turn a bit of music on, we just walk the sanctuary and we pray for Sundays. So I want to encourage you, if you're on a Saturday night, yeah, you know what? It wouldn't hurt if you got up and made a little trip over, did a little bit of praying. It takes work. It's a lot easier to stay home. It takes work. The Bible warns that all of our work, as each Christian, will be examined at the judgment seat of Christ, the Word says. Everything I do, and not on the time of the things I do, but why I do the things I do. There's always the why. Second Corinthians tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I want to hear, well done. I want to hear, well done. So we had to work hard. Work hard like a farmer. Run like an athlete. We keep moving forward like a soldier. Be diligent in what God has given us to do. Part of that work is we have to divide, rightly divide the word of truth. Paul said be diligent in rightly dividing God's word. Rightly dividing means handling the word of God like a, like a soldier would handle a sword. A soldier learns how to handle a sword properly to vanquish his enemy. Rightly dividing means to plow straight like a farmer. All I ever knew about farmers was they place plow straight. Here in Alberta, I don't know if they plow straight or not. It seems like sometimes they're depending on the lay of the land. But we're supposed to plow straight, not veer off to the left or the right. Rightly dividing means to plow straight. Paul told Timothy, rightly divide to God's, God's word. So if there's a right way to handle your word, if there's a right way, the Bible says to handle your sword, then there's a wrong way. If there's a right way, then there's a wrong way. You see, whether we like it or not, the Bible's not up to everyone's interpretation. Surprise, surprise. It's not up to everybody's interpretation. I can't have my term interpretation. You can't have yours. You can have it. There's a right way and a wrong way to understand the Bible. And we must work hard to master the right way. Like I said, we've all heard people say, well, that's your interpretation. You interpret the Bible your way. I interpret it mine. Another person interprets it their way. We can never really know what it all means, so don't judge me by how I interpret the Bible. But church, we have to be careful we don't fall into the trap of picking Scripture to fit our own situation. When a person does that, they wrongly handle the word of truth. They're wrongly handling God's word. Like for an example, Jesus said, Judge not, that ye be not judged. Pretty simple, right? So we automatically think that we have no right to judge others and we have no right to judge and they have no right to judge us. Something we pour off our lips all the time. But if that's the case, then Jesus broke his own commandment. Because you read anything about Jesus, that's all Jesus did was judge the, the Jewish leaders of the day. Just read it. That's all he did. But you've got to read the second part of it. It says, For with what judgment you judge... You will be judged. And with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying, don't judge anyone by the standard you are not willing to be judged by. That's what he's saying. I always think about the story. Remember, the, Jesus also gave another parable. He said, you will judge your brother for the speck in your own eye. 
put a speck in his eye, yet you, want, you can't see the plank in your own eye. He said, when you, when you take that plank out, he said, you'll be able to see clear enough now to judge your brother. It's not that we can't judge, but we've got to be able to see clearly enough. So in other words, I've got to be spiritual enough that I'm going to, when I do go to a brother or a sister, that I do it in such a way that the correction will come with a love that Christ has. Totally different story altogether then. Because it's done out of love, it's done out of caring. It's not done out of what we would call judgment. You do it out of love. Don't judge anyone by a standard you are not willing to be judged by. God will hold you for the same standard. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle God's word. So this had to be the focus of Timothy's work. He had to work hard. He had to rightly divide the word of God. You see, many of us are not willing to go to uh, do the work. Many of us are not willing to put in the time. And then we wonder how come we can't seem to get on the right track. We can't stop long enough to take the time to study God's word. Psalms 119 tells me that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word has all the answers. Everything I need is in God's word. But I've got to study it. I've got to dig into it. I've got to read it. Unfortunately, a lot of people got a habit that they'll come to church on Sundays and that's it. They'll take him on Sunday and they'll hope that what they get on Sunday is so that the pastor says something supernatural for Sunday and he'll carry on over till the following Sunday. It's the same thing as showing up here after church for a potluck and not eating no more for the rest of the week. That's right. I'm serious. That's exactly what it is. All right? Show up here on a Sunday and be a pig out on the potluck and hope for the best. And then hope that we've got another one next Sunday. And if not, you're in trouble. No, church, we've got to read God's Word every day. We've got to dig into God's Word every day. We won't make it from Sunday to Sunday. We're not going to make it. We're called to be diligent in God's Word, to handle the sword correctly, to learn how to use it. And when we learn to handle God's Word, when we learn how to use our sword, it changes us. It transforms us. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That is the power of God's word. How many stories have you heard? And I'll go back to my I'll always use my daughter as an example. She said, Dad, she, often, she was an avid reader. She said, Dad, I could have all the books. And when she came to know Christ and she started digging into his word, well, I got her was, Dad, I've got all these books I've read over the years. And I can go back and see in the same chapter, the same story, the plot, whatever. It hasn't changed. But every time I open up God's word, he brings me something different. I can go back to the same chapter and he'll bring me something different. Now, I've been reading 2 Timothy. It's a very short chapter. And I haven't been able to leave it. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. And you're showing me something else. Something else. Something else. I told someone the other day, I think I've been two weeks in 2 Timothy. I can't seem to get out of it. I'm here making notes and scribbles. and got my notebook here. And every time I'm sitting down, I'm, he's showing me something else. When we read God's word, it corrects us. It brings us to the realization who we are. It starts to dig deep. We realize the heaviness. God's word penetrates, judges the intent of our heart, why we do what we do. That's the beauty of God's word. 
James tells us that God's word is like a mirror. It gives us a picture of who we really are. Once we see who we are, God can begin to change who we ought to be. He says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's pretty simple. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's what the word says. All right? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed what they do. They will be blessed. When you read God's word, it restores you. Once we fully understand the power of God's word and the forgiveness that Jesus offers, it gives us that opportunity that we can repent. You know, I may fall off the bandwagon per se. You know, I may go along and I'm saved, but I mean, you know, we got our ups and downs in life and I may fall off and I'm struggling. But God says, listen, dig into my word and the very first thing you'll start reading, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us. From all unrighteousness. God will bring us back. And then if we study God's word. It transforms our minds. Romans 12 tells us. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is good. And acceptable. And the perfect will of God. Paul is saying don't think like the world. Don't think like the world. Don't conform to the world's way of thinking. He said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind by reading and studying God's word. It'll change your mind. Because God's word is living, is active. It'll cut deep. See, the problem is that most of us live our life on feelings. True story. Most of us live our life on feelings. We're always based upon our emotions on what we do any given day instead of basing it on God's word. What do I think about my job? What do I think about my spouse? What do I think about the preacher? What do I think about the worship? What do I think? What do I think? What do I think? Living by feelings will never transform our lives, church. But God's word, when it gets in our heart, will transform our lives. When we're in the storms of life and the devil starts to pour in all the grief, then our knee-jerk reaction should be automatically say, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? When you're feeling lonely and discouraged, God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That should be your go-to. Right? I said, Lord, I can't make it. Finances is pretty tight. God said, I know what you need. I look out to all the little birds. I see them, everyone that falls. I see the grass when it's cut and when it's through in the stove. So I know what you need. Trust me. We get so caught up in our emotions and our feelings. So it's a discipline for us to be able to take control of ourselves and say, what does God's word say? Stop. What does God's word say? This is why Paul encouraged him as he said, present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In verse 16 he says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philistus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and the overthrow, the faith of some. Paul says, stay away. He said, from anything that takes the focus off the gospel message. Stay away from it. Man's opinions, man's teachings, stuff that will sway you. 
It's idle babblings compared to God's Word. I just hit that in, didn't I? It's idle babblings according to God's Word. And these things become the focus of the message, not the truth of God's Word. And the Bible says all it does is increase in ungodliness. And when you listen to the ramblings of some of the stuff that goes around, you get caught up into it. Paul refers to it as like a cancer. You can't get away from it. It overtakes you. Messes with your mind. Messes with your heart. Captures audience. Spreads fast. He mentioned the two. Two individuals, he said, are of this sort. Apparently they started out correctly and they strayed from the truth of God's word. They allowed their own intellect, their own reasoning to get into the picture. But the real danger was that they led others astray. That was the real danger. He said their message spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philistus are of this sort, he said, who strayed concerning the truth. So they were walked with Paul at one time and then they strayed concerning the truth. Then he's saying, then this, and they overthrow the faith of some. So as people latched on to it. You look at all the false teachers we see around here. Everybody's running around trying to grab this, grab that, grab something else. I call them spiritual bunnies because they're all over the place. Right? That's true. They're spiritual bunnies. They, they can't stay still. They can't stay still in one church. I can understand moving from a church if the church is, is preaching heresy and things are, you know, you're going down an old cult road. But if you're reading, if you're studying out of the Word of God and you're and you're praying, and you're a praying church, and you're a hungry church, and you want to see God, then why would you be chasing all over the place for just whatever can tickle your ears? And they overthrow the faith of some because some turns around and they latch on to it. And that's the danger when you don't know God's Word. That's the danger we have as a church when we don't know God's Word. Paul encouraged the church in Corinth. He said, listen, he said, go back. He said, every time I speak to you, whatever I read, I want you to go back and search the Scriptures for yourself so you know what, what I'm telling you is telling you the truth. I got no beef with anybody, whatever I say, and listen, I can make a mistake. <laughs> so anything I say, if next week you show up and say, Pastor, I don't think what you said was right, and we can sit down and discuss it, I'm good with that. Right? That's what Paul did. He told a church, he said, go, he said, study the Word. Study the Word so you'll know. Study God's Word. So we can tell fact from fiction. Unfortunately, in the last days, the Bible says that men and women will not be so hungry. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires and they will gather around them a great number of teachers and say whatever their itching ears want to hear. And that's exactly what we're seeing. You see it on Facebook all the time, right? Everybody sharing the word of the week, right? Everybody sharing the word of the week. Yeah. I heard of a pastor one time, and it's a little bit, not a little bit off topic, but a small bit off topic. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. How many times have we heard that scripture? Ask anything in my name and I will do it. So was a, there was an older pastor. He was suffering with cancer. And, he'd, uh, and the pastor of the church was there. And he had a pastor invited in to preach, a different evangelist. And when the evangelist came upstairs, the pastor of the church came to him and said, called him by name he said we have this individual here and he's suffering with cancer and we want you to pray for him for healing he came up everybody crowded around and as soon as he went to put his hand he told me the story himself as soon as he went to put his hand on this man the lord spoke to him clear as anything he said he shall die and not live 
What are you supposed to do with that? It was God. And he was right. Within a month, month and a half, he was gone. He prayed, still prayed for him, because you had everybody crowded around. That. But you understand? When you know God's word and you know God's voice, it separates it separates individuals who are plugged in to God's word because you'll know God's voice and the spiritual inclinations of what goes on. And he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so us as a church, when you know God's word and you're plugged in, you're going to hear God's heart and God's going to start sharing his heart with you and all of a sudden he's going to start talking to you. He's going to start talking to you through his word and he's going to start talking to you through the Holy Spirit. And you'll be totally, totally blown away when the Holy Spirit starts to work through you. In that way. It's not just a book, church. It's not just a book. When we stay focused on God's word, when we study it, when we allow the Holy Spirit to correct us, it transforms us through the renewing of our minds and we will learn the heart of God. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Paul makes it clear that the foundation of God has been laid down. Amen? And no matter what, every attack of the enemy, the foundation of God will stand. Paul's telling Timothy, he says, don't worry, don't panic. Things will be okay. God is all under control. The day will come and the whole world will see who has the last say. But we are to be diligent, study God's word, so we can stand with every wind of doctrine, everything that is getting thrown at us, you know how strong it is? We preached a few weeks back. We talked about having the spirit of a sound mind, having your mind so strong in God that you know that you can decipher all this junk that's flying around all the time. Yeah, you may get certain people attack the church, spread a message that spreads like cancer. Even some people may even fall away and be led astray. But the foundation of God will stand. Amen? God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a strategy, and it's not going to fail. It doesn't matter who falls. It doesn't matter who may reject the truth. It doesn't matter how many go their way with profane and vain babblings. God's foundation will stand. And the beauty about it, he said, this is a seal that you know. The Lord knows those who are his. That's a seal. You know, back in the days when he would take an envelope and he'd put you know, wax on it and put a stamp on it. And that seal would not be broken until he received it. But a seal on the foundation of God states that God knows those who are his. God knows those who are his. I don't know if you're God's. Seriously. I don't know what happens behind closed doors. But I know that I am his. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And it quickens me. And my spirit connects to the Holy Spirit. And he lets me know that I'm a child of the king. God knows who he is. God's not sitting up in heaven wondering and worrying about who's saved or not. He does not hope or wonder if you'll make it till the end. God knows. And the second seal says, Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the second inscription on the foundation of God. God knows who are his. He calls who are his to leave their sin behind, to depart from what is not of God. Some might say, well, I belong to the Lord. I know I'm His. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't really matter how I live my life. Yet to think like that, the person has forgotten that there are two inscriptions on the foundations of God. Because if you're a child of God, your desire and actions will want to stay away from anything that would disappoint Him. 
If you love the Lord, you don't want to hurt Him. See, we're in a love relationship with Jesus. We are called the bride of Christ. I love Beverly. I would not want to hurt her. We are the bride of Christ. So I would not want to do anything to hurt Jesus. So I stay away from what I know He doesn't want me to touch. The solid foundation of God's Word stands. It isn't going to change. God's Word is forever and ever. Amen. It's not going to change. You can run it down. You can say what you like about it. It's been tried to be destroyed, tried to be shut down. But God's Word will never change. God's Word will last forever and ever and ever. And we as a church, when we start to eat this book, your life will change in leaps and bounds. You will be transformed. You will be different. And those around you will see the difference in you. And you will make a difference in this world. And you will make a difference for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.